the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Now, maybe you guys are the same uh, as me, but whenever we read this gospel, it puts before us a very difficult and challenging standard to love one's enemies and bless those who curse you. And sometimes in our walk with God and we read scripture, we come to a point where we say, okay, these things I can do. And we make a line in the sand and say, okay, I can't quite cross over this. I can't accept this commandment. I can't fulfill this commandment. So we draw this arbitrary line where we say, okay, we can't cross. All of these other commandments that Christ asked us, we can do. But this is crossing the line and I can't cross it. The Lord sets for us today a, a high ultimate moral standard uh, for Christian living. And it's this idea of limitless love. To love without limits or without bounds. And it's certainly a revolutionary teaching. At the time, and maybe even perhaps now, uh, the customary way of dealing with one another and measuring one another is by justice. Uh, if somebody is kind to you, the natural response will be kind to them. When sm- somebody smiles at you, the common thing would be to smile back. At the same time, when somebody is hostile towards you, we respond with retaliation and hostility. And this is what's common today. If you'll find during all the readings of this month of Ba'una, which is the month right after the uh, Feast of Pentecost, uh, the Church reminds us and speaks to us about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and the, and the life of the Apostles and the Church and also in my life. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to transform us into the image of Christ, this perfect image of love, this limitless love. It's certainly not easy, but I think it's worthy, it's worth striving for, um, to share in this limitless love and to practice this limitless love. And when we do so, we become children of love as we are called to be lights to the world and share the light and love of Christ with all of our fellow um, believers and non-believers alike. So what are some of the characteristics of this limitless love? We'll just mention a couple here this morning. But before, before I mention the characteristics of this limitless love, to whom is the Lord speaking? He begins the gospel today in verse 27 and says, But I say to you who hear. I say to you who hear. So he's directing his words to those who not only hear him by their physical ear, but those who have the intent to do his command. So he's speaking to those who hear and are ready to do his command and do his will. How many sermons have we listened to? How many lectures have we listened to about many different subjects, about how to communicate with one another with kindness, with meekness and gentleness, compassion, with uh, and to be thankful? We heard many sermons about how to serve one another, perhaps how to control one's anger, how to deal with one another, how to forgive one another, how to respect one another. We hear many sermons, many lectures, and they all enter into our ear. But how many of them are translated into actions who actually hear? And this is what the Lord is speaking today. He speaks, okay, but I say to you who hear, everyone heard, but he is speaking to us who are ready and uh, to uh, act what we are about to hear from the Lord.
So it's my prayer, as I'd mentioned these few points about limitless love, that they enter into our ear, make their way into our mind, and into our heart, and into the will. And I speak to myself first. <clears throat> the first um, uh, quality of limitless, limitless love, is, it is void of retaliation. The Lord said here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. So the idea here is not this re- retaliation in limitless love. It's based on um, uh, not returning insult for insult, right? So if how somebody treats me is not how I treat them. If you remember the story in the Old Testament when uh, David was fleeing from Saul because he wanted to kill him. And finally, Saul goes into a cave where David and his men happened to be. And one of his soldiers leans to David and says, This is Saul. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. It's your time to kill him. So he, and he's trying to kill you. Now it's your time to return insult for insult. And David said, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him. He says, God forbid that I stretch out my hand against someone who was anointed by the Lord. But he's trying to kill you. Yes, but he was anointed by the Lord. You know, all of us who are here, who are Christian, have been anointed by the Lord as well. But yet we don't do this with one another. My husband, my wife, my children, my friends. Maybe we're much easier. uh, We return insult for insult and hate for hate. But what is our response to those who hate you? Or what should our response be to those who hate us? I want to say that it's not regarding those who hate you because of a wrong that you did. If somebody hates you or is upset with you because of a wrong you did, this is not what the Lord is speaking about. And uh, St. Peter expounds on this and explains it in his first letter, his second chapter. He says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Underline suffering wrongfully. And he says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? So he's saying here, if you do something wrong and you're beaten because of it and you take it patiently, what credit is that to you? Because you did something wrong. This is perhaps what we deserve. And he continues and says, But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed Christ, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So he says the idea here, okay, when we... um, uh, when. People look to us and hate us. I have to ask my question or ask myself a question. Did I do something that justifies this aggression towards me and this hatred towards me? And if so, perhaps I deserve this. And maybe it's time to reconcile and repent. But when we're speaking about limitless love, it's when I've done nothing and sometimes, you know, our ego and our mind can always justify what we have done. This is why having a third party or having a confession father is vital. Because if I don't, then I always think everything I'm doing is wrong. 
I mean, is right. I think I'm doing right, but the person or the people in front of me say, no, you're not doing it right. So, it's very crucial. Um, so, again, number one is limitless love is void of retaliation. And retaliation can take many forms. It can take the form, of course, of verbal aggression. It can be passive-aggressive, right? If somebody doesn't do what I want, then I'll give them some looks. Um, I won't help them when they need help. I won't take them where they need to go. I won't give them their basic needs and so on. This is passive-aggressive. This also type of retaliation. Also, we have maybe a retaliation when we're driving. You know, this is very common here, unfortunately, is this road rage. Somebody cuts me off. I'm yelling, cursing, screaming, and I cut them off. Again, this is all retaliation. The second quality of uh, limitless love is that it's filled with grace. It's filled with grace. He says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Again, a very difficult command. What do I mean when he says, when I say filled with grace? You know, justice is dealing with somebody as they deserve, right? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is justice. Mercy is when I deal with somebody where I don't, you know, if they're worthy of some kind of penalty, I forgive them and I deal with them with mercy rather than what they deserve. But grace is even higher. It's giving to a person who doesn't deserve, right? Giving to somebody who doesn't deserve. And our Lord did this with us. He says, uh, the Lord Christ on the cross, as he is looking at those who crucified him and those who uh, falsely um, accused him, he said to them, or to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So he's offering grace. He's doing something good for them, forgiveness, while they are not worthy of this grace or of this forgiveness. St. Stephen, in the same way, did the same thing. While his, uh, his murderers are around him, stoning him, he prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, do not charge them for this sin. So he's praying and asking God to forgive them, although there's, they're in the midst of their crime and they're murdering him. But he deals with them with grace. He gives them what they do not deserve. So when, we, when the Lord says here, bless those who curse you, the word blessing here is this forgiveness. Christ forgave. He blessed the people who were killing him, and St. Stephen was blessing those who were murdering him as well. So this is forgiveness. So can we forgive those who are around us? And again, you know, the idea of this limitless love is that it's applied to everyone in the world. But I think if we just begin with those who are immediately around us, we find this is even a hard command with those whom we love. Right, our parents, our children, our siblings, our friends. This limitless love can be practiced in these uh, small uh, community settings, so that way, when we go out into the rest of the world, we can apply them. Can we do this? Can we first start with our families uh, to practice this grace-filled love? Also, limitless, limitless love is determined. The Lord says what? To him who strikes you on one cheek, uh, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from him who takes away who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And by the way, the idea of here striking on the cheek, 
uh, in the time the striking on the cheek wasn't meant as an assault, right? Uh, not like maybe now if somebody's punching you on in the face, this is an assault. But at the time, this, the striking on the cheek or slapping on the cheek was more of a humiliation rather than a, a type of assault. Just like in our Middle Eastern culture, you know, um, if somebody throws a shoe at you, it's more of an insult and a curse rather than an assault, right? There was once a president who was visiting the Middle East many, many years ago, and he had a shoe thrown at him. And again, the shoe wasn't meant as an assault, but it was meant as a type of humiliation, right? So the same thing. So when somebody insults you to humiliate you, he says, turn the other cheek. But when somebody assaulted the Lord and he slapped him, the Lord asked him, why is it that you are slapping me? If I did something evil, tell me what I did evil. But if I didn't, then why do you slap me? So he confronted him when it was this aggression. But the idea of these three verses are what? Is there is always a temptation or there will always be a temptation to limit love. There will be a temptation. Okay, but love can be great, but there's always got to be a limit. And the ones that were given here, for example, were what? There's the limit of an insult. I can love somebody, but the limit is when, when they insult me. If they insult me, this is the end of love, and now I go into hating and I want to retaliate against them. Right? So the temptation here is what? To limit love. There can also be a temptation to limit love when it comes to theft or possession. I can love somebody, but once they touch my possession, once they destroy my property, once they do something like this, then this is this is the end. I can live, I will limit love. Right? The Lord here says, He who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Who takes your outer garment, give him your inner garment as well. Don't let the possessions limit your love. And the third one is sometimes love is tested the limits by those who are in debt. By those who are in debt. What do I mean by those who are in debt? Those who have no means to pay back. Those who have no means to pay back. So, and this is why the Lord continues in the next few verses. He says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For sinners do the same, right? It's because, okay, I can love somebody, but if they are not able to pay me back, then I'm not going to love them. It's like sometimes we go um, to different uh, gatherings and parties and we come giving a gift. And the idea of giving the gift is not because I want to do a kind thing for the person, but the idea is so I can make sure that they give me and my children you know, a gift when they come over as well. So it's just a matter of you know, equal exchange. But it's not coming from a heart that's filled with love, wanting to give you know, to someone. When we give, we give without limits expecting and hoping nothing in return. This is what the Lord taught us today. There are many circumstances in life that will challenge the limits of love in our life. And a lot of times, it's our pride and our ego that get in the way. Our pride and our ego. I can limit it to something, but I have to stop here because of my pride and ego. Again, if we start practicing this on the small scale with our families and friends, Let's look to our husbands, look to our wives and our children and see how we can practice this limitless love. They may do something that is annoy- annoys you or that bothers you or perhaps you do think you deserve something and you're not getting it. Don't let the possessions, don't let the insults, don't let you know the fact that somebody can't pay you back be a hindrance to your love that we are asked to share today. 
lastly, is unconditional uh, or limitless love is unconditional. And he says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them. The idea here is what? Sometimes we understand this and say, okay, we should treat people as they treat us. But he's saying, no, the basis is not how somebody treats you. The basis is how you want others to treat you. How you want others to treat you. And this principle, the foundation of it is what? If we are saying, okay, love is based on not what how people treat me or love me, but how I want other people to love me, this is how I should treat everybody else. But I'll pose a question. To what do you think would happen if we do not love or value ourselves? If the foundation of this principle is how I value and love myself, and, and in doing so, this is how I'm going to treat everybody else. What happens if I don't value and love myself? I'll tell you what's going to happen. One is that we will allow ourselves to be abused and we will abuse other people. When I don't value and love myself as a, a person who was created in the image of God and somebody who finds their value in God, then when I don't have this love for myself in Christ, then I will abuse others and others and I'll allow others to abuse me as well. And this is again, if you look in the society around us, you'll find this is what's happening. People are, don't value themselves, sell themselves very cheap, and allow themselves to be abused, and then they themselves abuse other people as well, because the love has grown cold. What is the remedy to go back to this limitless love? To love one another unconditionally, regarding, regardless of a person's worthiness. That's why the Lord uh, follows this by saying what? Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. When he speaks here about judge, and uh, and so you not be judged, he's not speaking here about suspending the moral faculty of judgment. Because we can never distinguish what's right and wrong if we don't judge the difference between them. right? But what does he mean here? Simply don't usurp the role of God. Don't usurp the role of God. Don't assume the role of God as judging a person. And what does this mean? At the end of the day, you know, um, when we condemn somebody and say, okay, this is somebody who's condemned and they're not worth helping anymore and their judgment is hell, right? This is the role of God. But we can't do that because we have no authority. So how does that translate for us as fellow humans it's when we give up on an adversary as a lost cause. When we look and label somebody, it says this person is a lost cause. Then we take the role of God because this is God's role, right? To judge somebody's end is God's role. But when I look at someone and say they are a lost cause, then I'm taking the role of God and this is judgment. Okay? Don't give up on anyone regarding their salvation. Again, I underline here regarding their salvation. Because there are some times we can experience some individuals, and maybe perhaps even ourselves, where we have something wrong and they don't want to change. But it doesn't mean God will never change them. Right? And there are certain, you know, um, limits perhaps where, uh, you know, in essence, God doesn't want us to be abused but he wants us to love and be hopeful 
that God can still work in them and to save them. The Lord promised us that if we extend this kind of love and mercy, it will be extended to us. He says, if you love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. So the reward of loving in the way, the same way that God loves is that we'll be his sons, we'll be worthy of his inheritance, we'll be partakers of his kingdom, and share, shares in his glory. And he continues, says, Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be uh, put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The same love that you show, the same love that you will receive from God. We might ask ourselves in conclusion, why is this limitless love important? Why did Christ speak about this to his disciples and also to us? If we remember the disciples, they will begin their ministry and they'll minister to people who hate them and who are hostile towards them. And they will certainly meet those who will return their kindness with hatred and persecution, as we saw with St. Stephen and the martyrs. But what would be the result if the disciples didn't um, practice this limitless love? St. Cyril of Alexandria tells us, he says, If then the result had been that the disciples had become indignant at these vexations and wished for vengeance on those who annoyed them, they would have kept silent and passed them by, no longer offering them the divine message, nor calling them to the knowledge of the truth. So if the disciples didn't have this divine love, when they met aggression and hostility, what would they do? Throw up their hands and say, I tried, right? That's what they would say. Forget about it. They're accursed people. Imagine if the gospel started like this. Impossible. Impossible. So it was vital that the disciples learned and practiced this and saw this limitless love in Christ and practiced it. Because if not, then we can't share the message of love. Can you love someone who you hate? Can you share a good message of hope and forgiveness to a person you've labeled as hopeless? Never. Never. In the face of the command to love your enemies, many will protest and say, Christ is God, but I am a weak human. I can't do this. And again, St. Cyril responds. He says, quote, But our mistaken preconceived ideas and the fierce tyranny of our passions render it a thing difficult for our minds to accomplish. And therefore, knowing that the natural man does not admit of these things, regarding as folly and mere impossibilities the oracles of the Spirit, he separates such from those able to hear and says, I speak unto you that hear and are prepared readily to perform my words. For the gloriousness of spiritual fortitude is displayed in temptations and labors. So what's he saying here? He's saying if we come and say that this idea of love, limitless love is something for God because this is only God can do and we do, he says, then we are not, uh, you know, growing in this. Uh, uh, he says, basically, like the glorious part of our spiritual life is the struggle, is the struggle, and the labors. And so, when we just look at a command and say, "I give up on it," then you lose the glory of this struggle and the grace that comes along with this struggle. 
the disciples, this kind of love didn't come natural for them. Do you remember when the uh, Lord was with them and they were fighting with each other, who's going to be the first? Who's going to sit at the right hand and who's, who's going to sit at the left hand? By all means, they weren't perfect. But they were trained and they tried and they heard the message and went into their ear, went into their heart and they began to try to practice a little by little, perhaps beginning with one another as the disciples and the family. So then when they went to preach to the world, they experienced this limitless love to the point where St. Paul says of the Corinthians, the more that I love you, the less what? The less I am loved. How can you endure such a thing, St. Paul? Well, because I saw my master do it. How can you endure insults by your husband or by your wife or by your children and how your brothers and sisters and they fight with one another and with your colleagues and all the mean messages that are sent online and shared? The answer to this, my beloved, is this limitless love. Unless we embrace this kind of love, we will participate in the darkening of the world. But when we share this ultimate and beautiful love with one another, then we give light to the world and become children of light. May God allow us all to be his children and to show his light and love to the world. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.